Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. If you're surrounded with good people, you don't have to drag them from up front. You support them from behind and let them thrive and flourish in what God's already gifted them to do. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with my co-host, Mike Kelsey. Mike, you doing good? I'm doing good, man. Uh, I've I, I mentioned this to you privately, but I'll just go ahead and say it in front of everybody. You know, my family's been in quarantine, so that's always uh, fun. Uh, not, not, not very fun, but I'm doing good, man. <laughs> so recording this uh, from home, and uh, I just I can't control uh, what what happens, man. A house full of yep. kids, so. Yeah, man. Uh, well, we're we're excited because uh, we have Scott James on with us today. He serves, uh, man, in a variety of leadership roles in his church as an elder, the church at Brook Hills. Uh, and then he and his wife, Jamie, have four children. They live in Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, he works outside of the church as a pediatric physician. And uh, because he has so much extra time on his hands, he is also uh, written a Christmas devotional, the expected one, and an Easter devotional, the risen one. And we're excited to talk to him today. Scott, thanks so much for joining us. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Well, just as Mike was sharing your bio, there's not much that you're not doing right now. And of course, this past year and a half has been uh, wild for everyone. And for you, you get to lead in many different ways. Uh, through the pandemic as a physician, as well as an elder at your church. So just before we even dive in, would love to hear what your last year and a half has looked like. <laughs> oh boy. Um, it's been nuts. It has been uh, legitimately the, uh, uh, the most eventful and challenging uh, year and a half of my life. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm in pediatrics, but I'm, uh, I'm not a general pediatrician. I'm, I'm actually uh, an infectious diseases specialist. So that's kind of my field, uh, a virologist by training. So, so viruses are my bag. Uh, so this has been, um, yeah, the, the, this pandemic has been in my wheelhouse and I've been uh, thoroughly engaged with uh, efforts to help people get through it in the safest way possible. Um, that's been a really challenging uh, event though. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So you're, you're handling that on the physician side and then you're also an elder at your church and you're having to make key decisions on that. How, how, you know, this past year and a half, how is that balancing those two things in? For me, thankfully they, they do go hand in hand. I, I sort of look at things, uh, from a, a holistic standpoint in my healthcare roles, uh, I'm looking to shepherd people into wise choices and healthy living and uh, just uh, addressing healthcare issues from as well-rounded of a perspective as possible. Um, and so I really, I, I look at my role as a physician and as a scientist and as a public health uh, advocate, uh, I, I do look at it kind of in a ministerial light. Like I'm, I'm trying to encourage people to thrive. I'm trying to encourage people to serve others and love their neighbors well. Uh, and, and I'm, you know, trying to you know, make discoveries and, and do research that's going to help everybody, you know, get through this as uh, best as possible. Um, so I, I, I take, I have always brought kind of a ministerial perspective to my healthcare engagement and, and my job as a physician, I really look at it as a teaching and shepherding type position. I'm walking with families through very difficult situations in which their children are ill and that's a, a tribulation and a trial to go through. And so I kind of want to just, you know, be a, a, a someone walking through the valley with them. I, I want to kind of shepherd them and guide them through that. That's always been the way that I approach these things. Um, that goes hand in glove with my role as a pastor at my local church. So much of that is um, overlapping, very different context, very different questions being asked, very different um, specific situations that need to be navigated. Uh, but it's the same general attitude. It's a servant leadership position. Uh, it's uh, trying to walk with people and lead with humility, lead by example, uh, you know, help, help people grow in, in wisdom and uh, helping people make good decisions for the, for the community, right? So it's a congregational question rather than a necessarily a, a community-wide question, but they overlap. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, I, I've had really good experiences having yeah, just good conversations with people all across the spectrum, like people who flat out disagree with me and think that I'm making up everything that I'm saying. Uh, and yet we can kind of find 
common ground in the desire to love each other well and respect each other and make decisions that are good, not just for individual people, but for whole communities. You know, you you stepped on exactly what I was <laughs> what I was thinking about the whole time you were talking, Scott. So you are there's a lot of leaders right now, uh, especially leaders in churches, but leaders more broadly. But just thinking about church leaders for a second, it's been one of the most difficult seasons of leadership for a lot of reasons. But one of them is because of the pandemic. And so here you are kind of you're straddling both worlds. You're an elder in a large church. Um, uh, which I'm sure there's just a diversity of opinions about all things related to COVID. Sure. But then you're steeped in the science and the day-to-day practice um, uh, around infectious diseases. So uh, any, any advice you would give Christians in general around how to, um, how to balance what my personal convictions might be based on all the things I'm reading on, you know, whatever blog I'm reading, uh, and then just my my identity as a follower of Jesus, because I think sometimes, a lot, unfortunately, a lot of times where we land on the COVID spectrum determines how we act, you know, toward people who uh, agree or disagree with us. So you're in both of those worlds. Any just general advice you give Christians from your uh, from your vantage point? I would encourage people to consider how wisdom would guide them into these conversations. And so by that, I mean, um, uh, underlying, I'm using the word wisdom from a distinctly Christian standpoint. So an underlying uh, foundational trust and reliance upon our sovereign Lord, right? So wisdom is going to flow out of the fear of the Lord. Uh, So as I respect and understand my identity in Christ, as I understand who I am and in God's creation and how I'm supposed to exist in it and represent him and also interact with his creation, um, I I, want to approach truth from the standpoint of of wisdom. Uh, So I I don't feel compelled. So if if I'm truly rooted in Christ, I don't feel compelled to uh, try to figure everything out on my own, have all the answers myself, be a uh, autonomous individual that is the captain of my own ship. And I'm going to do my own research and figure everything out. And I myself am going to navigate these rugged waters, you know, despite whatever anyone else says. That's not fundamentally my approach as a Christian. Uh, I, I was, you know, raised to uh, exist in a community and exist for the blessing of other people and it called into a body, called into a church, uh, wanting to kind of practice uh, the, the, you know, many members, many gifts, one body. Um, so when I have issues or concerns or questions or anything in any particular area, I'm not on my own. I'm mm-hmm. fundamentally in God's hand, but God has also given me a bunch of people to walk beside. And many of them know a heck of a lot more about things than I do in particular fields. Uh, so if I'm, you know, dealing with a, a particular area and I know my brother or sister in Christ is someone who knows a lot more about that subject, I'm going to defer to them. I'm going to seek their wisdom. I'm going to listen humbly to people who have put in the work that that sort of general approach that's not foreign to the Christian life. That's mm. I think that is what most of us have been encouraged to grow in. Now, whether or not we live that out is a totally different story, but that's not a foreign concept. So I think for COVID, it applies the same. Uh, I don't think at any point is the average lay person asked to solve COVID. I I don't think any um, uh, just general person is supposed to have all the answers at these incredibly complex questions. Uh, And so like if you've got public health officials, if you've got people within your congregation that uh, have spent their life dedicated to fighting infectious diseases and and things of that nature. I mean, it just makes sense that you would at least listen to them, uh, humbly hear their expertise. And then that doesn't mean you blindly listen and do everything that they say, but, um, a willingness to, uh, to engage in larger conversations and, and not feel like you have to just, uh, figure it all out. Well, thank you for answering that. Uh, let's hop in here. We're going to hop into our normal questions and just want to explore, you know, what is it, what does God's journey for you look like to get you to where you are today? So if you don't mind, just walking us through a quick overview of all the different leadership roles that you've been in over the years. Sure. Yeah. I wear multiple hats. Uh, I, I guess you can sort of approach it from a, a church standpoint and also kind of the, the roles God's put me in, in the university environment and the hospital environment uh, in church early on. Uh, I kind of, was uh, uh, called upon to become a deacon in a church that sort of had a polity where deacons were elders, basically. 
Um, and so uh, sort of stepped into that role relatively young, probably too young, but uh, really kind of hopefully sat quietly and listened to a lot of older, wiser people and learned a ton from it. Um, and, and then uh, since moving up here to Birmingham, I uh, have been serving as a, uh, a pastor slash elder. We kind of use the term interchangeably at Brook Hills. Uh, so he's serving in a kind of a, a non-staff pastoral role at the Church of Brook Hills for uh, almost a decade now. Um, uh, yeah, just various leadership ministries that sort of go with that, serving in kids ministry, serving in youth ministry, that, that sort of stuff. Uh, so, uh, yeah, kind of pastoral leadership roles. Um, and then from the hospital standpoint, uh, so I'm an academic based, you know, university based physician scientist. Uh, so I've uh, sort of um, have leadership roles uh, here in our hospital, in our university that essentially kind of revolve around there's sort of three main areas of uh, academic life. So it's uh, clinical care and education or teaching and research. Uh, so in various roles like that, uh, like so from the educational standpoint, I'm um, the fellowship program director, which means I'm kind of the, the guy that oversees the training program. So if you come to UIB to become a pediatric infectious diseases specialist, I'm your boss. Like I'm the guy that sort of uh, runs that, that program. Um, and so that's, that's been really, really encouraging and, and fun to be a part of, uh, again, cause I kind of approach ministry and work in the same vein. I, I view it as raising the next generation of, you know, of people that do what I do. And so that's, that's a Christian mindset <laughs> for me. And, uh, it, I parallel that in, into my work, raising the next generation of Pete's ID doctors, um, also serve kind of, you know, various, uh, kind of leadership and chair positions on, on various research teams, uh, and, uh, national kind of within my Peds ID Society uh, serve on some national leadership teams that basically kind of help coordinate our national approach to our our specialty. You know, as you're you're sharing your story and just the different roles you've been in, what what comes to mind is I think I've shared this on the podcast before, but I remember reading uh, George Washington's biography and it kind of said like he never sought out leadership; leadership sought out him. And hearing you talk about, you're like, hey, I was put into a deacon elder role, maybe at too young of an age, and I, you know, I was, I was given that position. And even as you're talking, I'm I'm now at UAB, and now I'm over I'm, I'm over the fellow program. I'm over the I'm kind of the leadership chair. And it kind of seems that leadership finds its way to you. Um, and my question to you is, when did you realize you were a leader? Because it sounds like many people called that out of you. Like, hey, Scott, we see this in you. Would you, we would love for you to be a deacon or an elder. Or, hey, we would love for you to lead this program. When was the first time that somebody kind of an experience of, oh, I realize I'm a leader. And how, how do you deal with that of stepping into those roles, even when you're not seeking it out? Yeah, you're spot on. That that is that has been my mo over and over again of uh, not being shy about stuff, but not seeking out uh, leadership positions. Uh, I'll be serving. The way we talk about it at church is like when we're looking to see who the Lord might be raising up as a new elder. We talk to our church about find people that are already doing the work of an elder, and we want to just sort of recognize that. And so that hmm. was sort of my story as well. Of I just. Uh, try to keep my, you know, head down and do the work in front of me. Uh, you know, whatever Ecclesiastes 9 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with excellence. So I just uh, try to be faithful in whatever job or role that I'm in. Uh, and then from that, uh, if, if someone sort of comes alongside and says, okay, you're, I think you're doing this well, and I think people uh, can sort of follow you in that, then, then that's what happens. So um, in church leadership, that was certainly the case. The, the, maybe the first time that it really concretely landed was when I was, had been at Brook Hills for just a few years. Uh, and they were, um, it was, it was time for the sort of, uh, elder, you know, process of, of selecting new elders. And one of, one of the other, one of the pastors there, one of the staff pastors there, we were out to lunch one time and, you know, I look back and I think we were just hanging out, but I think, in reality, he was actually investing in trying to raise up sort of, you know, disciple me and raise up new elders. Uh, and, and so he just sort of looked me straight in the eye and was like, are you, you, you ready to be an elder? I'm, I'm getting ready to put your name in. I was like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> I was here for breakfast. Yeah. Like I didn't, it wasn't, it was not honestly on my radar uh, and until he put a name to it and he called it and said, he basically recognized it and 
I don't know, not defined it, but he sort of, um, he raised my awareness of it to, to mm-hmm. basically kind of, uh, highlight some things like, well, here, here's how the Lord is using you. And I think that he intends to use you in this elder role and, you know, the way he laid it out, uh, it, that was maybe to your, to your question. That was maybe the first concrete time where I was like, Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's a, that's a big responsibility. That's a big step. So let me actually put some thought and prayer into if, if I, you know, if that is where the Lord is leading me. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and so I think similar things happen, uh, from a professional standpoint in my, in my work of just sort of, um, just nose down doing my work. Uh, and then, and then, uh, like, you know, my, my boss finding me saying, uh, we, we need a new fellowship director. And I I feel like, I think you would be the right person to lead that role. And I hadn't honestly really considered it prior to that, but again, him naming some gifts, uh, that I was expressing at that time and how he saw that that would be something that would help our program thrive. That actually kind of turned the light bulb on and said, Oh yeah, I think, I think the Lord could use me in that way. Um, so really just trusting not over, I have no problem with ambition, but not being overly ambitious about just sort of seeking and grabbing positions and roles and, and leadership, uh, but just being humble and faithful and working where you are uh, and, and then letting uh, leadership opportunities come to you. That, that has always been my approach. I think that's so wise and helpful for two reasons. One, like you said, just to temper our selfish ambition. It's not bad to have a godly, holy ambition, but to temper our selfish ambition. But the other thing I thought about is how important it is. I mean, we got a a lot of young leaders. That's what this podcast is primarily designed for is young leaders. Um, A lot of young leaders temptation is just to huddle up in their peer kind of community with other young leaders. And uh, your story is an illustration of why it's so important to be in multi-generational church fellowship. Uh, or even outside of the church, just whatever sphere of leadership you're in, to have older uh, men and women who are in your life because they have more experience. They they just have a, another um, uh, just set of criteria to look for that may not be on your radar yet. And they may see things in you that you haven't even picked up yet. And so it's just kind of cool that those leaders were able to name something that mm-hmm. wasn't even it wasn't even a thought necessarily in your mind yet, but that brought this whole opportunity uh, before you to start to pray about and consider. And uh, so so having that named was one pivotal moment uh, for you uh, as, as a, a deacon or an elder in your church and then with the fellowship director role. Um, are, were there any other pivotal moments or, or one pivotal moment that you look back on as you think about all your uh, leadership experiences that you would say really set some trajectory for your life? Um, I think it was when I stepped into being an elder uh, at the church at Brook Hills, um, there was initially a fair amount of imposter syndrome that went with that. Um, And I use the term loosely because if I true, if I truly had an imposter syndrome where I, didn't feel that I was qualified for the role. I think a, someone would have seen it in me and would have said, let's wait, let's not do this yet. Let's keep mm-hmm. curving where you are. Let's not step into this. Let's not put the mantle on, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hope that at that point I would have had the self-awareness or maybe even the maturity to recognize uh, that I'm, this is too soon for that. And so let me pump the brakes and continue uh, seeking out some development opportunities before stepping into, a, again, a role with significant responsibility. Um, so I don't I wouldn't put it that far that I, I had that. But having sort of gone through and been affirmed by my church and been affirmed, you know, everyone around me saying, yes, step into this role. So I felt called and qualified, right? Uh, but there was still some layer of imposter syndrome in which I was just sitting here going, hmm. I, like, this is a lot of responsibility. Like, I don't, I don't, who is equipped for these things, right? Like, who is, who can do this? And I think maybe there's a certain level of uh, healthy self-awareness in that, hmm. depending on how you process it and deal with it. Um, so the pivotal moment for me would be sort of working through those initial thoughts going through my head and then like exactly what you said, being in a room full of people from different uh, generations, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic groups, different kind of across the board, mm-hmm. um, being in a room full of people who were very different than me um, 
and learning from them and sort of seeing the way, again, that the Lord uses many members, many gifts, one body. So a kind of a cohesive use of uh, a, a plurality of giftings across the church. Um, and so being in a room where uh, just people uh, were serving in all kinds of capacities and we were depending upon one another for that. Um, so at Brook Hills, we really do the, the, the plurality of elder sort of thing is not lip service. We, we very much do have this, uh, this sort of equitable pastoral um, uh, body uh, where, you know, the, the senior pastor and it, it came, at the time it was David Blatt, who was the, the senior pastor. And it came directly from him uh, where his leadership style was not alpha male. I'm in charge. You guys do what I say. His leadership style was brothers. Let's seek the Lord together. And you know, kind of when it came down to it. His voice was, you know, he had one vote and I had one vote. Like it, it, it really was modeled in a way that said, you're not equipped to do this by yourself. That was never the purpose or the plan. These are the gifts you have. These are the strengths and weaknesses you have. Look at all the other brothers in this room and you guys together seek the Lord and lead this congregation well. And so um, the, the imposter syndrome, I don't know that it ever went away totally, but it. Um, I saw how the Lord would use it and would use me in the context of uh, a body of faithful believers. Uh, sort of the, 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 the whole was greater than the sum of the individual parts in that sense. And so yeah. that, for me, that was pivotal seeing, seeing how a weak vessel such as I could be a part of this uh, and, and the Lord could use it to, to bless people despite my weaknesses. <laughs> well, you mentioned, you know, you, you were serving as an elder with, with David Platt down in Birmingham, and now Mike is serving uh, right beside David Platt. So maybe we'll just do another episode where we just tell fun stories about working with oh, David. I, and That's really what I want reels. to spend the rest of the time about. <laughs> I just want all the secrets. <laughs> oh, that'd be so good. Well, you know, real quick, Scott, you, you mentioned, and I think this is a point I just really want to highlight here. You, you felt, you know, Hey, early on, somebody's calling this out in me and that imposter syndrome, you said it was a healthy self-awareness to have to step into that room and say, I don't have all the answers because I think there's times, I know this is true in my life where it's happened, where you, there are times you're like, I think I do have all the answers and you can, it can be this, this pride that you walk in. And, and that is an unhealthy way to walk into that type of room. Um, I think a posture of always saying there, there's more to learn. Even if somebody's called this out in me, there's always more to learn. And that imposter syndrome is because I think sometimes we can run from that where it's like, and, and even what you said, who is qualified to do this? That's a healthy place to always be. Like if we ever say I am qualified to, to serve as an elder, to lead this church, like we have totally lost the calling of elder or pastor on our lives. So I just want to highlight that and thank you for, for bringing that out. And it's a helpful reminder that we should all hopefully walk in there. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of that, who is qualified? Unfortunately, we all make mistakes. <laughs> and uh, luckily, there's other people around us to, to help us learn from those. But as you were just getting started as a leader, and of course, you stretch across many fields. Uh, so there may be more than one story here. But what was your biggest mistake as a leader getting started? I, I think my biggest mistake slash misconception at the beginning was that leadership in and of itself is defined as an active out front action oriented role. You're the tip of the spear. You're the decision maker. You're uh, the, the, the one the, the buck stops there kind of, so you need to be sort of out there proactively making all the decisions that need to be made, um, you know, for the, for the good of your people that, that I kind of had that action oriented mindset a little bit at the beginning. Um, and so I'd come into like, for instance, I would come into an elder meeting and I would think, all right, the, the, the chief purpose of us being here in this elder meeting is for us to discuss policy and, uh, and make decisions and vote on things and kind of come up with the next big thing that we're doing at church. Uh, and, and it was all, everything that I had in my mind was action oriented, right? What, what, what vote are we going to take? What, what decision are we going to make? Um, you know, it was like, I'm approaching it more as like an administrator than a shepherd. And, and so again, it was through the, the, the partnership of these other pastors that I was serving alongside of, uh, our current pastor, Matt Mason is someone who really, uh, leads in this area where when we come together as, as elders, it is, it's primarily a shepherding role. So the, the, the heart of our elder 
gatherings, our our, our, uh, when the elders convene and we're talking about big things, important things, serious things. Yes, we have to vote on things every now and then. Yes, we have to make decisions. Um, but the heart of what we're there for is to know our church, to pray for our church, to uh, help equip our church, to to do whatever we can, uh, to to you know shepherds who smell like sheep is kind of like the terminology we we mm-hmm. like to do. So it, you know the the heart of our meetings are prayer and and talking about you know how we can support various members and how the church is actually uh, supporting each other, right? Like highlighting things that the Lord's doing in our congregation, and it's just much more of a, a shepherding mindset as a like this is the root of what we're here for. Um, rather than decision making and policy making and, and that sort of stuff, it's it's not either or. I mean, it, it really mm-hmm. is, it is a bit of both. But it was maybe a mis- mistake that I made early on was thinking that the kind of uh, administrative decision making things were the heart of what it means to be an elder or a pastor. Um, uh, and, and so, it, yeah, see, seeing it play out in the lives of other pastors has really helped me. Uh, sort of turn a corner on that and, and really value uh, the the time we spend in prayer or the time we spend just shepherding and talking about uh, our our congregation and, and how we can love them best and help them love each other best all the, all of that sort of stuff mm. on the from the hospital side maybe a parallel scenario would be uh, again you step into a leadership role and your first impulse is action all right what do I got to do? You know, what are my tasks? What do I got to accomplish X, Y, and Z in order to reach whatever metrics or that sort of thing. Um, and so for instance, I, I, uh, I stepped into a laboratory leadership position. So I'm, I'm uh, big into research. Uh, and so I, I, I sort of stepped up into a leadership role in uh, a research in my, my research laboratory. Um, and f- first thought again, imposter syndrome hits and you're like, all right, I gotta, what, what do I got to do to hit the metrics and, and make, make sure that I'm, you know, leading this research team well. Uh, and it was honestly spending time with the research team in which I kind of understood, look, my, my job is not to be the tip of the spear here. My job is to help them do their jobs. Well, my job is to put them in positions to continue to do amazing things because they're all already doing amazing research. And, uh, and so I, I get to just sort of step in and kind of help them flourish. Uh, and, and so, yeah, that sort of transition from the the leader is the one who necessarily um, gets everything accomplished and every, and drags everybody with them mm-hmm. to sort of maybe more of the shepherd mentality of kind of I'm actually sort of trailing after them and sort of applauding their success mm-hmm. and then kind of equipping and helping and leading where I can to sort of direct and guide and that sort of stuff. But I don't. You know, the, the, if, if you're surrounded with good people, you don't have to drag them from up front. You support them from behind and let them thrive and flourish in what God's already gifted them to do. Um, so that's that's a that's a, le- a lesson I've learned in the laboratory as well as in the church. Well, before we get to the next question, let's take a moment and hear from our sponsor. Let's face it, you didn't become a pastor to be an accountant, and you didn't attend seminary to learn about software. Still, managing money is crucial for any thriving organization, which means if you're doing anything wrong, then you're risking the financial health and vitality of your church. Thankfully, our friends at Belay know this well. Belay, an innovative staffing solution with over 10 years of experience serving churches, has successfully matched thousands of organizations with experienced U.S.-based virtual bookkeepers, virtual assistants, and social media strategists. And they are offering all of our podcast listeners a free download of their resource, Five Ways a Church Bookkeeper Can Transform Your Day, which shares the five most positive changes that will come out of hiring a bookkeeper for your church. So just text LIFEWAY to 55123, that's L-I-F-E-W-A-Y to 55123 for your free download. And if you do so, you will be one step closer to reclaiming precious time every week to do what only you can do. Now, back to the podcast. Scott, so thanks for the wisdom that you shared so far. And I want to hear about a book that's been influential uh, for you. But before we do that, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, uh, you've authored now uh, two books, uh, a Christian devotional and an Easter devotional. And uh, so tell us a little bit about that, because we got Christmas 
uh, coming up. Uh, it seems like it's far away, but it's about to hit us. It's, 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 <laughs> We're already there again. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you got the expected one and uh, and the risen one. So why'd you write those? And uh, what are those basically about? Although we know the story. Sure. These these are primarily um, family devotionals. So family worship is a, a big thing in my home. I have seen the Lord work in. Uh, ways that are distinctly out of proportion to my effort when it comes to mm. discipling my children. Uh, my wife and I have just always loved being in this simple rhythm of gathering with our kids. We have four kids, uh, reading the word, singing the word, praying the word, what, however we can do it just to kind of help make the Bible central in our home and more importantly, make like the God who has kind of revealed himself and, and given us his word central in our home. Uh, so, yeah, we're, that's a habit that we just try to regularly be in. So when it came to Christmas time, I wanted to kind of focus in on that. Uh, and, and so I was leading my kids in this and kind of came up with a, a way to think through uh, uh, Advent season. And so I wrote, yeah, I basically wrote some stuff for my kids. Uh, our children's ministry at Brook Hills kind of asked if they could use it. And it, it seemed to bless some people through that ministry. Uh, and then uh, kind of a, a wider audience eventually came out of that as well uh, when it was uh, published um, from from B&H. So it really was a family project that sort of uh, the Lord took in a providential and surprising way and spread it to uh, homes besides my own. But um, the expected one's basically a, a, a daily devotional through the Advent season. These are all Old Testament verses and passages mm -hmm. that are really designed to um, uh, basically put the nativity in the larger scope, right? So helping kids not have a tunnel vision on the events of yeah. the, in the manger scene, but seeing how those events fit in with the larger plan of redemption. So these are Old Testament passages that are kind of promises and prophecies and also just sort of shadows of what's to come that point forward to basically the, the full range of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. So, you know, it's, it's verses that talk about it. You know, his role as prophet, priest, and king, it's it's role, uh, verses that point forward to his death and resurrection and eternal reign. Uh, so it kind of breaks out of the manger uh, scene yeah. and shows a big Jesus, but all in the concept of he's coming. This this promised king is coming. Uh, so it helps prepare your hearts for the, you know, celebration of Christmas morning, I, I hope. Um, yeah. And then... Uh, yeah, they're short and sweet. They're really kind of designed to be kind of accessible and doable uh, for, for families so we don't get bogged down and don't want to make it a burden. want to keep it simple and keep it accessible. Um, and then I thought after Christmas happens, why not continue the fun? Uh, so we got a few months <laughs> that, that lead up into uh, another big celebration with the resurrection at Easter. And the church calendar already gives us kind of a beautiful roadmap of kind of how to consider those events. Uh, so I kind of took that basic concept and took, uh, you know, the two to three months leading up to Easter and sort of designed a weekly devotional that sort of walks through the themes of God, God's kingdom revealed and uh, Jesus being uh, prepared as a sacrifice on our behalf. And then mm -hmm. the actual themes of Easter and uh, his death and burial and resurrection. And then actually sort of pointing forward to a Pentecost to see the church unleashed. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just a, hopefully a way to help families uh, take the step of uh, just getting into the word together. It's really, yeah. you know, ho hopefully there's some pro profound truth in there in as much as they point to the Bible, but the devotionals themselves are uh, relatively uh, accessible things that I, I think parents hopefully will, will be able to walk through with their kids. And thank you for writing those, man, because uh, we talk in the church a lot, uh, speaking to parents about leading your family spiritually and having family devotionals with, with your kids. And I think sometimes we overlook a very big problem, which is most people just don't know how to do it and, mm -hmm. uh, and have never seen it modeled. And so uh, resources like this can, can just give us a starting point, man. I, I did not know how hard it was until I had, <laughs> until I have my own kids, man. Let me just tell you, seminary does not help you uh, figure out how to get your kids to stop throwing spaghetti and, and <laughs> listen to the Christmas uh, Devo. So thanks so much, man. So in, in your own life though, um, your life broadly speaking, but also in your leadership, uh, what, uh, what's been a book or resource that has just been helpful for you that you wish somebody had put into your hands uh, when you were just starting to lead? When I was just starting to leave, uh, it didn't exist yet, um, but I've more recently read Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, 
Uh, so good. Yeah. Uh, man, I had heard so much buzz about it and I, it just seemed like everybody was talking about it. Mm-hmm. I hadn't gotten to it yet. It was kind of on my list. Um, I have a long list, so I was <laughs> waiting <laughs> patiently to get to it. Uh, and then I finally got to it, uh, you know, about, about six months or so ago. It was just so refreshing and centering. It was just particularly for, I don't know, it's been a hard year and a half for probably the whole world, but in infectious diseases, uh, as an infectious diseases doctor, it has been a, um, it's been a remarkably challenging year or two for me. Uh, yeah, I'm like, you picked the, the two, maybe, maybe like president of the United States, but other than that, <laughs> like the two hardest jobs over the last year, I feel like I've been yep. infectious disease people, specialists, uh, and doctors, and then pastors. And you decided to be both. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like if everyone's going to be mad at me, I might well do it in both fields. Um, yeah. So I think I approached that book at, an, at a particularly weary point of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Lord is good and faithful and I wasn't, you know, you know, at the, at, at, on the ledge or anything, but, um, man, I was dry. I was, uh, I was, I was weary. And, um, that book was so refreshing and just reminded me, just preached the gospel to me in a, just a fresh light, a, just a, a new, a new way to sort of think through things. And I think Dane would be the first to tell you that he didn't reinvent, you know, he didn't come up with anything profoundly new or novel. He was just sort of um, pointing the way to, to reminders that we, we all know, but we forget so easily. Mm. Uh, so I, I say that it didn't exist then, but if, if, if I could have had those, I, if I could have had those concepts distilled in that, way, the, the beautiful way that Dane put them, if I could have had that early on in my pastoral ministry or in med school or in just when all, everything was, uh, beginning for me, uh, that would have been, boy, that would have been really nice. Mm-hmm. And now Dane would probably answer, but Hey, the Puritan streams that I'm drawing from were there for you. So <laughs> I did have access to all of that and we're blessed, blessed by them. So maybe, maybe I, I, I had them indirectly cause I was, mm was and still am big into the Puritans, but um, yeah, it was just such a refreshing book. Yeah. Well, on top of being a pediatric physician, we've talked about this, you're also serving as an elder in your church. And I think for many people, um, and maybe even young leaders, they feel like there's kind of this distinction between, okay, I'm either going to be a church, you know, be on church staff, or I'm going to do something else. And I'm not going to serve really at a high level in the church if I do this other thing. So for you, what advice would you share? You, you mentioned, hey, I was already serving in the kids ministry. I was doing this, I was doing that. What, what advice would you share for someone about getting plugged in and serving at their church, even if they're not on a church staff, they are, maybe they're in med school, maybe they're pursuing business school, whatever that might be. What advice would you share with them? My advice would be to uh, be a local church person. So wherever you are, whatever role God has you in, whatever job profession, uh, wherever you are, invest your life in a good local church. Um, that has to be, uh, as, as a follower of Christ, being rooted in that sort of community uh, of other believers sort of walking alongside you. Um, it's a hassle and it's a beautiful hassle. Uh, it, it's it's something that is inconvenient and it's something that builds you up. It's something that it's easier sometimes, particularly if you're in a high stress or a, a, a busy lifestyle. It's easy to kind of let that go and say, I just don't have time for that. So it is uh, an inconvenience from a certain standpoint, uh, if you're, you're thinking about time management and your professional life and that sort of stuff, but making that investment, making that commitment to, to be a local church guy, be a local church girl, uh, just be rooted in that. Uh, and then you're going to find opportunities to grow and serve and, uh, be served. And it's just, it's, it's good. Um, I had that decision kind of early in life. Uh, my wife and I got married my second year of med school. So going into my second year of med school, we were newlyweds. Um, med school was, just crazy, right? Like so, busy, so, so busy. Uh, and it doesn't get any better. You finish med school and you go into residency and your hours just go up from there. Right. And, uh, I'm old enough to wear like the work hours thing. Yep. <laughs> they were <laughs> restricted. <laughs> yeah. So it was just like, I, I look now at the residents who are like, eight hours a week. <laughs> yeah, you don't even know <laughs> back then. But, um, so I, I had a real decision where I could have said, 
Hey, I'm too busy. I just, I'm sorry. I don't have time for church on Sunday. Yes. Uh, I need that day as a, as a day of rest. If I'm not working that day. And my, my wife and I just made the decision early that that was not going to be us that to whatever extent, as much as possible as I could, we were going to be church people. We were, we were going to be invested in the local church. Uh, and, and it's, you know, practically speaking, it's the best decision we've ever made in our life and our marriage. Like just mm-hmm. uh, being being committed when the world looks at you and says you're too busy to mess with that. Saying I'm willing to be inconvenienced by something that is as important as this, and I'm using the terminology inconvenience. I, I hope we. I mean, in, in my heart, I realize that it is the ultimate privilege and honor to be able to gather and worship the triune God with, with the saints. Right. So it's, it is a, a rare privilege that, that we get to do this in the, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we get to gather and have access to the throne room of God. Mm-hmm. That's the local church, right? It's, it's, our, it's us gathering together and doing our best approximation of what eternity is going to look like gathered mm-hmm. together with the saints, worshiping our Lord. Um, and so having that high view of church uh, in terms of the, the, the commitment and the investment in it, uh, that's, uh, I, I tell med students and, and residents and people that are kind of engaging in really busy lifestyles, uh, that that's my word of advice to, to them all the time. Um, so yeah, that, and I guess to go back to your, the, the original part of that question is then making that commitment then puts you in a position to serve other people. Uh, and, and so again, sort of in, engaging that community and having uh, first and foremost, you're there to, to serve. You're there to, to help other people. You're there to invest in other people. You're not primarily there as a consumer where you're not primarily mm-hmm. there to be served. Um, so the, um, you know, just approach it with a, an open handed attitude of um, I'm here to, you know, humbly receive the word of God and, fellowship with the saints and love other people as best I can. Uh, and then you'll find it's reciprocal, right? And mm. it's good. So I, I would encourage people to be invested in their local church. And then I guarantee you, the Lord will use you in ways that you don't expect. So like, you know, a few decades later, here I am serving as a pastor in the local church, right? I didn't, mm-hmm. When I made that decision in med school of like, all right, we're going to be invested in our local church, did not have pastoral ministry on my mind. Was That was yeah. not the point of it. Uh, and yet here I am a couple decades later and it's like, one of the happiest things I get to do in my life is, is be a pastor in our local church. Mm, that's inspiring. Just even to hear, you know, to, despite how busy your schedule feels to make that commitment is, is very countercultural in a lot of ways, so many ways, but also uh, just thank you for that word. And if you're listening, man, take that word of advice to heart and no matter what's happening right now, make that commitment to yourself, to your family, whatever that looks like. So, well, Scott, we're going to move to the quick hitter questions here. And we're going to, these are short one minute answers. And we'll get started with this one, which is what is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office? When do you write books? When do you do everything else that you do? All that good stuff. (laughs) Save the world. Yeah. It's a jam packed day. That's for sure. Um, Yeah. My, my routine is, uh, you know, I'm usually up around six ish. Uh, I, uh, I'm not a big morning person, but I've, uh, I've grown a little bit more morning, uh, uh, accepting of the morning time. Uh, but I'm up around six ish. I uh, definitely love spending every single day, spending some time in the word early on, kind of just sort of systematically reading through a book or, or something like that, a, a book of the Bible. I have a little prayer journal that I keep. That's more for quick hit thoughts and prayers. It's not so much of a dear diary. It's more of a, this verse, like the Holy spirit just hit me in the face with this verse. And so I'm going to kind of capture that thought or moment or prayer. Um, is that like, uh, you write that handwritten or is that electronic or what? Handwritten. Uh, yeah, I'm an old school person, old, old school notebooks and a pen, uh, but it's doctor script. So we couldn't read it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that stereotype is true. Um, I do, I spend a little bit of time. So that's kind of my centering in the morning time in the word time in prayer. In addition to that, not more important than that, but in addition to that, I, I'm a poetry guy. I, hmm. I love sort of uh, helping my soul start off the day in kind of a, mo- uh, I don't know, a, a calm attitude in that sense. Hmm. So I'm, I'm big on uh, like Wendell Berry, uh, mm-hmm. uh, he's got a whole, I've read them all and I kind of regularly, so I just basically read one a morning um, and he's got it one a set of Sabbath poems in particular that are kind of very, I don't know, <laughs> refreshing and centering in, in, in a sense. Um, and so, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, kind of re- read a poem and uh, 
head off into my day, uh, into the lab about eight o'clock. Uh, my days are split between I'm either in the lab researching or writing manuscripts of research, uh, or, uh, teaching. So, uh, you know, leading, uh, in the fellowship program, uh, or clinical care. So I'm on service at the hospital. I'm the ID doctor for the children's hospital here, or I'm in clinic or, so I kind of, my day, my daytime office hours are, are split amongst all those type of academic and medical pursuits. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's awesome. I, I'm just kind of ADD enough to really enjoy wearing multiple hats like that, mm-hmm. uh, to, to where I get to kind of shift gears and do different things and kind of keep things uh, exciting. Um, I, I typically am home by five or six, so I, I don't I generally stay very, very late unless I have just a ton of patients that I'm still seeing. Um, but if at all possible, it's one of the things I like about laboratory research is whatever you're doing, you can pause and stick it in the freezer and go home. Uh, so I, I very intentionally carve out, uh, kind of home time and, 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 do my best not to work very, very long hours. Um, yeah, and then the evenings are just spent with family at home. Uh, love to cook together, love to play board games together, love to watch good TV together. Um, and then uh, date night is every night. So kids go to bed and my wife and I, we're, we're night owls. So we, we get a good, you know, three to four hours of uh, no kids, just her and I hanging out together, having date night every single night, which is amazing. Um, and then I, I stay up late usually. Uh, so that's when I get my writing done. So if I have anything itch in my brain that just needs to be written, some thought that's brewing, some book that's, that's going, I write children's books. And so that's a, a time that I uh, really enjoy uh, writing down some, some thoughts or working on a manuscript for a, a new children's book coming out or something like that. So I'll be up late after the kids go to bed, after my wife goes to bed, I'll, I'll stay up late and do some midnight writing. Uh, what time do you usually get to sleep? Um, midnight, 1 a.m. I don't know if it's, if I'm, I think I'm just broken, like residency, <laughs> like legitimately made, uh, yeah, just, don't take this yeah. as medical advice. Cause I know it's terrible, but like, I just don't, I don't need a lot of sleep. I, I just don't I operate fine on, you know, a good five hours of sleep, mm, man. I need that gift. Don't, uh, <laughs> yeah. Don't follow what I do there. Yeah. <laughs> Decided um, bad advice. Um, what's your first, uh, your favorite personality test? I don't do any of them. <laughs> none of them. You don't have Just time none. to do any of them. I, yeah, I, I have, I'm not strongly opposed to them. I'm apathetic. Uh, I've, I'm just, it's not my inclination to, to mm. do that. So I've, yeah. I cannot honestly remember ever taking one in my life. That's great. Yeah. Well, what's an, un, what's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership other than getting no sleep? I <laughs> know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think since I have multiple hats, uh, and I have, I have to shift gears frequently to do different types of things in different settings. I don't know if this is a, a, a unique or an unusual habit, but I am a tangible prayer guy. So I will, uh, when pivoting between things, I will actually stop and pause and pray or, or do something that is a, like a very, very concrete shifting of gears. Um, and so like, uh, I, I pull into the parking deck at the hospital. I stand, I get up out of my car. I have a little prayer card. I, I specifically read a prayer. That's like a, a, a liturgy of the working day. It's, mm. it's just Lord, prepare my heart. You, you who created all things and, uh, work all things to your glory, put me in a position today to sort of glorify you through what I do here at work. And then likewise, when I come home, Usually, I mean, I'm, I'm in pediatric infectious disease, so I'm seeing a lot of sad stories all day long. I'm walking with families through some really, really hard times. Yeah. It's emotionally heavy. Like it weighs on you genuinely. Uh, it's a pure privilege to do it, uh, but it's hard. And so I don't want to bring, I don't want to bring that excess emotional weight into the home when I come home. So when I pull into the driveway, before I get out of my car, I concretely stop and pause and take a moment and, and, pray and ask God to sort of, you know, take the weight off and let me fully engage where I am. Let me walk into this house and with a big smile and love my family well, uh, and, and not drag the stress of the day in with me. So, um, yeah, stopping and praying in between moments like that. Love that. Love it. Love it. What's your uh, favorite app on your phone? My favorite app is, um, I mean, the messaging app, right? Do you like just being able to text with people at like super quick and keep up with 
with just tons of current and old friends is I don't ever want to overlook that, the joy of being connected to people in that way. Um, so that's probably a cheap answer though. My like of a, a not standard app. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, every moment holy has an, ah, it's a great um, app. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, these are, this is a book. These are books of prayers. There's two of them that are out now from rabbit room press. Uh, and these are fantastic prayers just for everyday moments. Um, and they have an app and the way that I use the app. So the reason that it's one of my favorites is kind of going back to that last answer, just having concrete prayers where I stop Mm -hmm. and pause and take a second to gather thoughts and direct my heart. Uh, they have a deal where you just open it and there's a daily quote, a daily line pulled out from all kinds of random liturgies. So these random prayers for all kinds of, uh, things. And so what I'll, I'll do is I'll just sort of, (laughs) however that opens up, I take that as the Lord's providence and whatever line of prayer is there. I'll meditate on that and, uh, and, and pray, pray that. And I'm, you know, sometimes it's a totally off the wall thing. And we're talking about, you know, uh, you know, in, I don't know, enjoying the smell of coffee or something like that. But other times it's just like deeply poignant, meaningful thing that cuts straight to the heart of what I'm wrestling with at that moment, you know, unbeknownst to whoever set that thing up to pop up today. Mm. Uh, so yeah, every moment holy is a great app. What has been the best book that you've read in the past six months? Uh, well, so I already said I read Gentle and Lowly uh, about six months ago, so that probably would be a good answer. I am a big fiction guy also, mm. uh, not in an escapist sort of way, but just in a, um, I don't know, I find it a good uh, break for my brain. It's, a, it's, mm. it's, it's healthy for me to kind of exercise uh, creative and imaginative uses of my brain um, when so much of my day is kind of very, very, uh, heavy and, and, uh, structured and rigid. Um, so good fiction is kind of a, a little bit of a life spring for me, the Wolf Hall trilogy. So three books by Hilary Mantel, uh, old school English history, kind of, uh, historical fiction books. Uh, but she wrote a trilogy, uh, over the past like decade or two, um, it's uh, Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies and The Mirror and the Light or something something along those lines. Mm. Big, thick fiction books that are immersive uh, and they're so well written. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed those. Yo, you might be like one of the most fascinating people I've ever met. <laughs> right? I don't know infectious diseases, pastor, you read poetry. Fiction, like. I don't, it's, can I admit on this podcast, I don't, I don't read any leadership books. I don't like to my not... I'm, Mm. I've never read a leadership book in my life. Mm. Should I fix that? Hey, listen, seems like it's going well for it's you. It's working well, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm getting ready to start reading some poetry. I don't, I don't yeah, know. man. Yeah. I'll, rec- I'll, awesome. I'll recommend some fiction and poetry for you. I'll, I'll recommend some leadership books for me. Yeah, no, that's great. All right. Uh, what one sentence advice would you give somebody that's going into a leadership position for the first time? First time, uh, Stay humble, keep your head down, do the work in front of you. Mm-hmm. I think that's your, that's your story, man. Yeah, I mean, I think probably most people that step into a leadership position again kind of have this uh, kind of expectation that they need to do grandiose things right out the gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think plotting is the better course. So just be a faithful, I think it's Kevin DeYoung who said, be a faithful plotter. Mm-hmm. Just plot mm-hmm. along in a good, it's, it's a Eugene Peterson kind of aphorism of mm-hmm. a long obedience in the same direction. That's the faithful leader that that I want to be. That's the faithful leader that I want to raise up. Amen. Man, that's that's great advice. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review to help other leaders like yourself find the podcast. And we'll see you next week.